1: Actually, Esme's off tonight. It's Moose Miller sitting in for Esme. We'll catch up with Professor David Schultz from uh, Hamlin University, professor of law and talk uh, politics. And that includes uh, what's going on here in Minnesota and also just (laughs) the events of this past week, once again, out of Washington. So we'll do that starting up around 835. Right now, we wanted to welcome uh, a realtor who's out of the Houston area but has some ties here to Minnesota as our topic is about housing and housing inventory. That's now being affected by things like what's going on in Puerto Rico and how many people are going to be leaving Puerto Rico to come here in the U S and find a place to live or rent or buy hurricane Harvey. There's a lot of people that, you know, don't have a place to go back to with the flooding that happened in the Houston area. And then you go out to California, Santa Rosa, we're talking. A huge number of homes, thousands of them that were burned to the ground. People got to find a place to live. How does that affect the housing market? Lance Loken is with us. Good evening and welcome Lance.
2: Hi Moose. Thank you very much. This is a huge honor. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah. uh, Before we jump into the conversation at hand, your dad uh, was on WCCO years ago.
2: Yes, he was, uh, and he graduated from Brown Institute. And I grew <laughs> up in the Faribault
1: area. Oh, that's awesome. Just awesome. So, you know, you know, the Twin Cities and, and our market has just been on fire like a lot of markets. But, I, you know, I've watched properties in, in South Minneapolis where, you know, somebody buys it and a year later they're, they're selling it out because they thought they were going to stay there. But when they made some improvements to the property, and I'm not talking about flippers, I'm talking about people that had every intention of staying in there, but it, it would go up, you know maybe a hundred thousand dollars plus after taking out the cost of, uh, the improvements.
2: Right. Absolutely. I, I was up in the twin cities earlier, uh, in the year and spoke to several real estate agents and they were expressing the exact same, uh, challenges that you're talking about.
1: Yeah. It's just, you know, I, if you're a seller, you know, it's a, it's a great place to be, but. If you're a, a buyer or a first time home buyer, man, it, it, I don't know how, you know, people try to even stay in the game. I, I would think maybe now be the time to try to look for a place to buy. Cause maybe there's fewer, you know, actual buyers out there because you're going to be heading into the holidays, which might be a little counterintuitive.
2: Right? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah.
1: And with where interest rates are, they, they still seem to be hanging down 3.88. I thought I saw for 30 year money. And, you know, if we get a couple of interest rate ticks next year, even then we're still in the 4 to 5% range.
2: Right. And, and it's a great investment as well for right now, you know, because several years down the road, the interest rates are going to increase. The inventory is going to go up and you'll be in the driver's seat.
1: Yeah, as long as you're somebody that, that can find a good buy. And yeah. isn't going to be somebody that gets, you know, pulled into a situation where you're maybe overpaying for a property just to get it. And then if interest rates really take off, will you be able to sell it for what you bought it for?
2: Right. Good point.
1: You know, that, that's the, the fear that I have is two, three, four years from now, if interest rates are back. Because the first house I ever bought, it was in 1991. I had nine and a half percent interest. And I thought, man, that's awesome awesome <laughs> that i could get that rate uh because i you know i remember watching you know my my parents uh friends back in the uh, 80s you know when interest rates were you know 16 17 yep. people were doing home deals my,
2: my parents bought a house at an 18 uh 18 rate in wisconsin so yes i remember those days very well
1: yeah and, and people that don't understand this if interest rates you know, do continue to go up, 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 up the buying power of, of the buyers out there, the amount of money that they can borrow that pool drops because you're now servicing more interest. So you have less money to really kind of throw at a property. And that's where I wonder, where are we going to be in this housing situation? Five, six, 10 years from now.
2: Well, in, in, in the Houston area, we're already seeing an inventory increase, and uh, the buyers are being very picky on the choosing of their homes for that exact reason. They, they want the best of everything.
1: Well, and and also, you've also got a situation where there's pressure because so many people that, that may have lost a house now have to get things either rebuilt or they're going, screw it, I'm out. I'm, I'm moving somewhere else.
2: Right. Yes, we're waiting for the foreclosures to start happening or and what else is happening is the investors are buying on 50 to 60 cents on the dollar to these homes oh, that were flooded.
1: Wow, sure, cuz they'll be able to fix it, rehab it and and then, you know, be able to rent it or, you know, eventually sell it, I would imagine. But we are really starting to enter into this period where, you know, the, the rental market is huge and and continuing to grow. In what used to be, you know, first time home buyer housing.
2: Right. I read an article that was talking about the millennial generation and they are taking longer and longer to purchase homes because they like to be in transit so often. And so they are definitely in the rental market right now. So to your point.
1: Yeah. What do you see though with, you know, when you look at Santa Rosa, which has got thousands of homes that are burned to the ground, people, do you see, uh, you know, like a, a migration effect? You know, I think of Puerto Rico with, you know, hurricane Maria, there's a lot of people that may not come back to that Island.
2: Correct. We have people that have already migrated to the Houston area and are looking at rentals from Puerto Rico. Um, I have friends that are in the Santa Rosa area. And, you know, they're just trying to find a place to live right now because it was so decimated. That was a huge difference between Houston and there because those homes burned to the ground. At least here, all we had to do with, deal with was flooding.
1: Yeah. And, and you know, ripping out sheetrock and getting it down to the right. studs and then trying to, you know, mitigate out any mold and then, you know, move forward from there. And, and hopefully, the, you know, those units go back into inventory. but. You know, as I look at some of this stuff, I go, wow, you know, there's already a shortage of good qualified construction people to begin with. And now you got more pressure to go into areas like Puerto Rico and, uh, Santa Rosa and, and parts of Houston and, and redoing roofs and, 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 you know, sheetrock and drywall. I would imagine going into 2018, this is going to start to play itself out in the, the housing real estate market.
2: That That's exactly right. We've already seen, we had a record-breaking month for the month of September on the rental market in Houston. And I believe that's going to continue to happen, at least for the short term. And then these homes, it's going to take another six to eight months before they get rehabbed, and then they'll be available next spring. But we're definitely in that hiccup type of an environment right now.
1: You know, for somebody that's listening in the, in the twin cities, or maybe knows someone that is thinking about jumping into, you know, the, the buying market, what advice would you give them? Maybe try to go out and get pre-qualified right now, and maybe might be able to make a run heading into the holidays, or do you take your chances and wait until, you know, the, the big start next year? Uh, you know, when, when a lot of new inventory will come online, probably here late February, early March.
2: Well, we're we're definitely telling our buyers to get into the home now for tax purposes because they can get some tax benefits before the end of the year and I'd rather be in the market right now versus next year when the interest rates continue to increase. And uh, we've been telling all of our buyers to get pre-approved and there's actually a lender that we deal with that gets pre-approved fully and they can buy a home and be in that home within nine to 12 days. And so we really, you know, lead them in that direction.
1: Sure. And, and would you say that the, the process to apply uh, in, in today's uh, world it is, is pretty streamlined, but yet still able to vet people out pretty thoroughly so that we're not, you know, creating another 2004 through t- 2006 <laughs> where anybody right. could fog a mirror qualified?
2: Right. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, the Internet has done a great job. With getting uh, the pre-qualification process streamlined, you can actually go online and submit your application and get approved with uh, information from your bank statements and such. Uh, so it has definitely been very streamlined.
1: One thing I've heard for first-time home buyers that you know maybe uh, you know they don't have a precondition of you know trying to sell. Uh, an existing home. So that kind of puts them in a, in a good place, but maybe, you know, they, they aren't as strong on paper with uh, you know, a down payment amount or something along those lines, but just writing a letter to the seller and explaining, you know, their world and, and what they want to do with that house. Can that sometimes maybe push a, a seller towards them?
2: Absolutely. We have the buyer agents on our team they actually write letters just like you uh, stated. And they also submit photographs of the family and key characteristics of the family. If they've got two young children or three young children, they take pictures of them and how exciting it would be to have your home as the, the benchmark for growing up in that neighborhood. Sure. So yeah, they absolutely do that all the time. And very importantly, you want to get with a good lender it has a true pre-approval letter that'll take you to the end. There's a lot of, there's a lot of lenders still out there that'll pre-approve you and then take 45 to 60 days to close. And that just frustrates, you know, the sure. Customers.
1: I, you know, I, yeah, I, I've bought and sold six homes over the years. And uh, the, the one thing that I always tell people that are going to go out and do this journey of, of, trying to find a place to buy, get pre-approved with a, uh, a mortgage broker or lender, uh, I'm not a big fan of the big banks, but more so with the, the mortgage brokers that have a bigger, deeper, wider well of product to offer. The the really good ones will vet out. They'll look at your, your pay stubs, and they will thoroughly vet you out so that there aren't going to be any surprises when you get closer to trying to close these things.
2: Absolutely. And I completely agree with you. Stay away from the big banks. Um, the mortgage brokers and the lenders that specialize in it are absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And,
1: and you just ask around your realtor, if they're worth their salt, should know the names of some really good brokers that can, you know, because they scrub you over, they should, you know, because you want to make sure you're not going to run into any speed bumps or hiccups. They're going to, you know, kick the deal to the curb. And, and that brings me to. If you're a baby boomer right now and you're sitting in a pretty big home in some of these outer ring suburbs of the Twin Cities, what advice would you give to them? It, it, maybe next year they, they should look at getting out of this thing or, you know, because you wonder how long can you ride this ride, you know, with, the, with affordable money before that starts to dry up and go away in four or five years when they were thinking right, I of maybe would, selling.
2: Yes, absolutely. I would start getting that ready so that when the springtime comes about, that you're fully ready to do that. Yes.
1: Cause, uh, you know, some of these homes, I I just, wow. You know, they're huge, they're big, they're beautiful, but you know, is there a, a, a growing pool of millennials or second time, you know, you know, moving up home buyers to absorb that?
2: Well, they, I read an article a few months ago that this this pool of new people coming in to purchase homes is larger than the uh baby boomers was so
1: yeah this pool of millennials but they they first have to get off the bench and get in the game
2: (laughs) yes absolutely they do
1: yeah but one of the things i've heard too is that uh you know they're being encouraged swing for the fences here maybe go after the really big thing because You know, five, ten years from now, that may not be as easily attainable depending on where money is and where salaries are. Because if salaries don't go up or wages don't go up, you're not going to be able to afford more home as interest rates go up and push your pricing power down or your buying power down.
2: Right. And then we get right back into 2004 to
1: 2007 again, don't we? Yeah. That's, you know, exactly. And, you know, I'll Hold my breath and we'll see if, you know, a big tax cut, especially uh, on the corporate rate for corporations does indeed trickle down to the common employee or not. But I'm a little skeptical of that because there's been history on that that hasn't borne true. You know, when you look at the Reagan tax cut on corporations, uh, wages didn't go up that much. And in some cases, farther into that term of the Reagan years, wages actually started to pull back. And uh, yet there were big tax breaks granted. So, you know, does that bear fruit? I don't know. And it's going to be interesting, but uh, always a pleasure. And and Lance, we certainly appreciate your time this evening here on WCCO.
2: Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much.
1: You've uh, given us some good food for thought here. It's 823 on WCCO. We'll check some weather, see how the tailgate uh, forecast is shaping up for tomorrow's Vikings-Ravens game. The uh, Gophers won today over Illinois 24 to 17. I'm Moose Miller sitting in tonight for Esme Murphy here on WCCO. Moose Miller in on this Saturday night for Esme Murphy here on WCCO. There's a new survey out about millennials and Generation Z. Those are the people that uh, are now just uh, coming of age. Generation Z. (laughs) Wow. Uh, When it comes to their preference on how they would like to communicate most of the younger end of the millennial generation and the generation that's coming up behind them prefer to digitally 65% of millennials and those in generation Z would rather communicate with people digitally than in person uh, and that's globally Here in this country, it's 73%. 41 or basically 42% of younger people think it's okay to text during a family dinner. 27% think that it's fine to text someone while having an in-person conversation. Nothing drives me nuts more than that. It's like, (laughs) really? I thought we were having a conversation here. And I just got done watching uh, Blade Runner 2049, I think it was. The, the woman that has uh, Ryan Gosling in it and Harrison Ford. And I'm just like, I hope that's not where we're heading. Where AI and, and artificial intelligence melds with human beings. And Ay, yay, yay. It just, that, that, that movie was so dark and depressing and it's just like, I wish I wouldn't have seen it. It's kind of like when I saw um, AI that had Haley Joe Osment in it, the, the young man who's now a young adult. He played a, you know a robot boy or artificially intelligence-created boy that gets abandoned by the mother that had sought him out to replace the child they thought was dying but then ended up getting better. And, and where that movie took us, that journey. Oh, I, somebody told me, I guess they worked on that ending like four or five different times. And it's still, I still don't like the ending of that movie. And and you wonder, where, where does it all end up? And, you know, are we maybe going to see people start to push back and just go enough is enough on digital input? You know, we need more analog I I was telling somebody the other day I I, I'm so thankful I grew up in the 70s and the 80s because I don't know what it's got to be like to be a kid today it just everything you see or do is captured and shared whether you like it or not and I don't know if that's healthy for the human being itself you know, we, we do need some secrets. We do need some privacy, in my humble opinion. And I really wonder, you know, does that force us? This is a pretty heavy, deep conversation, I realize. But you wonder, as fast as things are going, and, and I think we're going to see some really remarkable things here in the next several years when it comes to artificial intelligence and, and just how rapidly that is growing and, and will it be for better or for worse is it, the jury's out on that right but you know the i love watching old friends episodes because they're not all sitting on those couches in the coffee shop looking at their phones <laughs> it just i remember that time and you know i, I maybe you know you, you start to get a little older you start to ponder and think about those things but i, I really am worried For what we're creating with kids that only have a screen in front of them all the time, and I know parents are are struggling and wrestling with that as we speak. But anyway, we'll uh, we'll check that WCCO weather forecast. And see how we're looking for tailgate weather tomorrow for the Vikings and the Ravens next year on WC.
2: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play it.
1: Always enjoy visiting with our next guest here, Professor David Schultz, Professor of Law, Hamlin University, who uh, usually sits in with Esme Murphy here on WCCO. Good evening and welcome, Professor.
0: Thank you for having me, Moose. How are you doing tonight?
1: I'm doing good. I got to tell you, I you know, as I was getting ready for our segment tonight, the, the one thing that that really was rolling around in my head was General Kelly, and I I wonder if he's sitting around this weekend going, man, I stepped in it when, when I threw out that empty barrel comment. Um, I I I now tripped into the the level of what the president gets back and forth on a daily basis and, and trades in, and and I think he he really in my eyes re, reduced his value in currency, uh, with regard to a moral compass and the truth. Cause I've always had profound respect for that man. But when I saw him head down that path, on going after the uh, Congresswoman, I thought, don't get into this. That that's not your world. The way he explained the, the soldiers and, and being brought back and, and, the honor guard and the, the remembrance and, and, and wrapping them in a shroud, that was all such powerful, poignant, great things to remind us of. But to then head down that other path, I just thought you're way out of your what you should be doing.
0: You know, it's interesting. I had very similar thoughts because – among I think the best people in the Trump administration is, is General Kelly, who I think yeah um, just you, you have to respect him in so many different ways. And then even if you don't respect you know even if, if even if you didn't have enough respect for him, you also have to keep in mind that he also lost a son and the you know you know a, you know, a yeah. son. And so, so for on so many grounds, you know, he's a hero. He's a hero. His family's a hero. And what bothered me with this whole story here is the fact that. He, he knows also that Obama, going back to it, Obama, actually did contact service members, actually, I think, did a pretty good job in trying to uh, you know honor our, you know, our fallen heroes. And I think you're right. He, he went down this path that he didn't need to do, and you sort of felt like he had to eat up a lot of his own integrity in the process yeah. to keep his job. And I would have rather have seen him um, either say nothing um, or... Um, and be the good soldier, you know, or or perhaps resign.
1: Well, you know, unfortunately, what's going to happen is the media is going to eat him alive next week because, you know, there, there's video of this ceremony that was shot by the Sun-Sentinel newspaper in Florida of this 2015 dedication, and nowhere on that tape is, is this congresswoman bragging about getting the funding. I know, And it's it just, it it's, he didn't need to do that. Mm-hmm. And and I hope to God he stays there with Trump because we need him there, and you know and H R McMaster we need him there, mm-hmm. and it really worries me because you know if if people like that end up leaving the fold, um, God help us here. You know, yeah. I, there's the, a lot of people that 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 support Trump and and have voted for him, and I totally respect and understand the the probably the reasons that went into that vote and and rightly so you know we so, gotta we gotta clean clean the swamp drain the swamp but uh, i have yet to see anybody taking a move in that direction
0: no i agree i was also going to say that you know that there are many listeners out there you know who didn't vote for trump but at the end of the day, as, as Americans, you want to hope your president succeeds. You, know, you, you want to hope our government succeeds because that's the right answer when, when you think about it. It's really the right thing to say. And, and you're right. You know, you know, um, people like Kelly right now, I feel like, are one of the few people who are keeping this administration from completely going over the edge, um, especially when we think about like international events at this point, in yeah. terms of how precarious things are with North Korea and, or, and Iran and so forth. And so I wanted to succeed, but I just had this feeling, I think you're right, that what we're going to see in the coming week here um, is just incredible battering of his integrity. And you sort of wonder if he now is going to be like, like Jeff Sessions is, like Rex Tillerson is Secretary of State, where... Yeah. I'm to, one of my students called it this week, um, they're zombies. You know, they're, you know they're, they're, they're like the living dead, you know, in the administration. And you worry that Kelly's going to go that route, too.
1: Well, the other concern here is because they're still, you know, very understaffed in this Trump White House and these different cabinet positions and undersecretaries. And you go farther down the food chain. Uh, you know, I just read today where the president himself has spent almost half a million dollars of his own money. To help pay the legal bills of some of the White House staff and campaign aides that are now being you know, drawn into this uh, Mueller investigation. And that's got to scare the hell out of any potential people that would maybe consider working for this administration because they don't want to get sucked
0: into this. I think you're right. I've seen a couple of stories, actually, in in a variety of places, like The Economist. I think The Washington Post has talked about that also. Is that you've got two things going on here? One is the Trump administration moving, actually, very, very slowly to fill critical positions. You know, I, you know, I don't, I'm, I think. Some of the listeners know, you know, that I do some some speaking for the State Department. I, they send me on some some you know projects occasionally, and so I know the State Department relatively well. And that's vastly understaffed in terms of areas. Um, so one, he's not filling them, but B, there is this reluctance right now, I think, for many people of, of getting sort of caught in. You know, almost like a meat grinder or something like that, um, in terms of what's happening. And so, so I think this is going to hobble his administration, you know, you know, for quite a while. And one of the things that, that I'm still not seeing after almost ten months in office is is his administration learning from past mistakes, going through the learning yeah. curve, and getting better at what they're doing.
1: Well, even his most ardent supporters say, "Knock off the tweeting," and he just can't stop. Mm-hmm. And it, it, uh, with this Florida congresswoman, it's like, dude, stop. Yep. You, you're feeding a cat here. It's not going to get better for you. You're only going to end up looking even less presidential than, you, than I think a lot of Americans look at him and just go, what the hell are you doing? Mm-hmm. And, you know, let, let, Let's focus on tax policy. Wasn't that what we were supposed to be doing this past week? Yeah, and, and where is that?
0: Yeah, and that's and that's one of the big things that he wants to move on here, and, and he's and he has potentially some momentum on it too because the Senate passed a resolution in terms of saying that you know to move forward oh, on, on the, the budget, it, right on the budget, and it looks like he might have enough votes in the Senate to move on this issue, um, but what he has to still figure out how to do is, as they say, the devil's in the details, work out the details, but what seems to happen, I mean, think look what we've seen before as soon as he gets close on a deal he starts to fight with the people he's closest to. And so, for example, you know, we know he's been picking on, recurrently, uh, Mitch McConnell and Speaker Ryan. Um, he looked like he had a deal with the Democrats on DACA and a couple other things. He's he, At the last minute, he sort of picks on them or picks a fight. This week, it looked like the Republicans and Democrats did what they're supposed to do. What was it? Twenty Was it 21 senators, wherever the number was, said they had a deal on a fix for Obamacare and the Trump administration doesn't seem to want to go along with that. He just seems to be alienating at the point where he's just about to get
2: success.
1: Yeah, I I don't understand it. And then I'm reading here tonight where uh, the House is considering uh, cuts in the tax deferred retirement savings. So the you know the deduction on how much you could you know take against your income for a 401k or a Roth IRA or that kind of stuff you know, that's middle America, that's right. man. I mean, so now you're going to put that cost on us uh-huh. to, uh-huh. you know, and, and, you know, what about the, the one or 2% out there? Uh, so they're going to get a bigger tax cut. Do they really need
0: it? Yeah, they don't really need it. And I think one of the other things that we're seeing is that they're talking about getting rid of the estate tax, you know, and, and, and I don't know about you, maybe you can help me out here. Do you know very many um, middle-class people Who can basically, at at the time when they die, give away five and a half million dollars in terms of their estate?
1: Only farms, only family farms that I know of, and and, you know, and that's you know, a six million dollar farm is a is a pretty good size operation. I mean, that's a lot of ground. That's it it uh, is. is. You know, you're talking you know thousand plus, uh, probably closer to two thousand acres depending right. on how but much the, the, is, the price of ground very, is going.
0: Yeah, we're looking at very few people affected by it. It's the same thing. A, a tax cut that doesn't really benefit the middle class. The you're right, the you know, the, the one that you were talking about doesn't benefit the middle class. There's very little out there that's really benefiting the middle class in terms of the tax policy he's talking about. And these are the people, you know, these sort of the struggling, you know, middle class, maybe say the lower working class. These are the people who voted for Trump. And they're not getting very much, you know, out of this deal. And so, combine that with the fact that some of the cuts potentially that he's proposing to the subsidies, you know, for uh, for low income people for who are on, you know, on the getting your insurance through Obamacare, and a lot of people who voted for him are going to be hit pretty hard in the next year. Or
1: yeah, so. where are we here in Minnesota on that with Minsure? I mean, what what's going to become of you know those matching dollars and or, or dollars that? You know, help make up the gap or the difference so that somebody could afford, you know, a health care policy. Yeah,
0: this is going to be a big problem because remember, last year Mark Dayton said that the Affordable Care Act has become unaffordable. We saw in some parts of the state of Minnesota some insurance rates going up pretty dramatically. The Republicans came up with a fix to try to cut cut down on some of those rate increases. Um, If Trump's proposals go through, it'll affect effectively negate that um, that fix that the Republicans and the Governor Dayton came up with. And so we could very well see in a year from now, us going back to those double, not triple digit, you know, rate increases in terms of insurance. Sure. Now, granted, it doesn't affect a lot of people, but it predominantly affects people where? Um, in rural Minnesota, um, in places where there are not many, uh, not much competition in terms of insurance carriers. And so, our, our our insurance system in the state, which is actually pretty good, could be seriously damaged, you know, by some of those proposals that are going through. Well,
1: you know, I, I can tell you, you know, firsthand in, you know, in my world, I'm, I'm self-employed right. and, um, you know, uh, for my, I'm 54 years old and my health care is going to go up dramatically when I, you know, 55 plus. Right uh when that day comes but you know you, you're looking at $2000 a month for a good plan that's right to that's right. to cover just my wife and I and I want to repeat that mm-hmm. $2000 yeah. and you know I just I want to throttle some of these people that that are griping and whining because they may are be paying uh $800 a month and oh my god my plan's gone up really no. do you even have a dog in this hunt and you know if you've got employer subsidized health care you don't know what you're talking about you know and yes your plans are going up but you have no idea what those of us on the individual market pay and with all due respect you need to educate yourself before you start chiming in on this
0: debate yeah you make a good Point here one of my students who graduated last year was from greater minnesota i won't mention the town because it's very small and her father was a, had a small farm and she was talking about her father um her father mother her and like one, well, I call her sister it was about five thousand dollars a month
1: yeah Just a, it's, because it's, it's, they're they're it's, buying it on the individual market exactly you know wh- why can't i get a chance to buy into uh, a government plan, mm-hmm. like uh, what, what our Senate staff is allowed to participate in. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, if you're retired from a, a government job, uh, those people are paying, you know, in some instances, I have friends, I'm not going to name names, but uh, they're paying maybe 400 bucks a month and they've got incredible health care. And I'm going, what gives? Yep.
0: No, you're right. I, th- I think, and I think one of the things that we've seen in the last six to nine months here is that we went from a majority of the American public up, um, not supporting Obamacare to a majority now are saying, okay, maybe it doesn't work the best in the world, but let's fix it. And the thing is. There are a variety of fixes that we could put together at this point to sort of, you know, to improve it. Because I think at the end of the day, you know, I think most Americans say that we really all of us ought to have health care insurance, um, and it ought to be affordable and ought to be something that works. And I'm not seeing um, the Trump administration really moving us in that direction, even though he promised to say, "Get rid of Ob- Obamacare." What was his phrase? "I'm going to replace it with something terrific." We've yeah. never seen a a, a, a a quote a terrific policy proposal come from the trump administration and, and I'm, well I'm, they'll
1: be able to sell that through the 2018 midterms i predict they'll, right. they'll be able to they'll still be able to trade on the currency of you know it's obamacare we're trying to fix it but after that i see you're going to own it and and then you're, you know you're the dog that caught the car That's okay right. you caught the car now do something with it
0: no, I think you're right, because at some point, we're going to get to a point, um, and I'm not sure where it is, where he's not going to be able to blame anything like on his predecessors anymore. Because I remember Obama did a little bit of that when he first took office also. That he was you bet he Bush. And at some point, it's like, <laughs> you're president, you're responsible. Um, it's like you said, it's your car at that point. You've got to solve these problems. And you're right, Trump's sort of reaching the point where he's run out of excuses on just about everything.
1: Well, here's the one thing that, that I, I, I hold out hope at the end of the day, Donald Trump isn't loyal to anyone, but Donald Trump. Right. So he may sell the the Republican party down the river to close a deal on, you know, what, what could end up being pretty damn close to universal health care because we've tried every option and this is all we can come up with. You forced me into this. I
0: I could see that day. I really could.
1: Yeah.
0: But you if it happens, do you think it happens before 18 or after 18? Because I, I think it happens, it happens after, 18. after 18. I do, too. I do, too, because if he's thinking about running for re-election, he does something bold, and he does something like that um, as an effort to try to sort of the seal the deal of going yeah. into the 2020 elections. All
1: right. Well, that's a great place to leave this conversation, great. <laughs> and, uh, and we'll see what becomes of that. But uh, you heard it here first. Professor, always a pleasure. I really appreciate your time.
0: No problem, Moose. We'll talk to you soon. Good night.
1: Professor David Schultz from Hamlin University, professor of law here on WCCO. Our McCarthy Auto World Time is 853. Certified McCarthy Cadillacs now up to 40% off MSRP. Shop McCarthyAuto.com. That's McCarthyAuto.com. Wow, where did the uh, evening go, huh? I want to thank Kevin Reed right there working hard behind the scenes, making me look good. I'm Moose Miller sitting in tonight for Esme Murphy. Jill on Money is coming your way after we check in with CBS uh, World National News. Jill Schlesinger from CBS, as we uh, normally check in on that show on Saturday nights starting at 9 o'clock. Thanks for uh, allowing us uh, to spend a little time together here on WCCO.